All right, so uh, just to start out is, so this panel is on individualized artistic medicine, compounding cannabis oil to suit your specific needs. Uh, so just a brief background on this. Pharmacy compounding is the art of science of preparing personalized medications for patients. Compounding medications are made by a practitioner's prescription in which individual ingredients are mixed together in the exact same strength and doses as required by the patient. Um, as we know, it's been around for a long time and it's become this mass-produced type of style. Um, and we really want to get it back to this, instead of this one-size-fits-all, this is kind of the discussion of why we need to get back into compounding and why we need to incorporate cannabis oils into it. So myself, my name is Brad Slaughter, um, one of the partners of California Weed Blog. I uh, just moved out to Florida helping with uh, changing policies and uh, all the crap that's in uh, medical cannabis in Florida, um, trying to bring some of my education that I have from the political and business background that I have back over to Florida to try to change some things. Uh, let's go with the panel and have them all uh, explain themselves. <laughs> oh, start with me, okay. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Shira Adler. I am actually the author of the book called The ABCs of CBD, The Essential Guide for Parents and Regular Folks Too. And I wrote that book after 10 years of living and breathing and being in this industry, probably one of the earlier people in, which makes me <laughs> can a godmother, do not call me a grandmother. Um, and I entered this space because of personal reasons, as most of us do, but I have a unique company as well as being an author, an activist, an instigator, and an advocate. And I compound and work with ancient wisdom and modern science, which is the combination of the purity and the wholeness of this plant medicine through modern delivery methods. So I make an aromatherapy line. It's the core line infused with a balance of essential oils, terpenes, and uh, CBD compounds. Uh, my name is Carlton Bone. Uh, I'm out in Portland, Oregon with the Upward Cannabis Kitchen. Uh, we blend tea with cannabis and ferment kombucha, also with cannabis. Uh, outside of my manufacturing business, I do consulting uh, like for my mom, who is a cannabis physician, former OBGYN in Florida, and we do a lot of focus on product development, specifically you know, novel drug delivery systems and compounding beyond cannabis. I'm Jason Cantor. Uh, I'm a cultivator, uh, alchemist up in Humboldt. Uh, been at this for, on the cultivation side for eight years. We do CBD dominant uh, cannabis strains. Um, and we put together different formulations for various varying uh, illnesses and ailments. And pretty much straightforward. <laughs> Simple. Hi, I'm Dr. Kardiamet Alif. I'm a medical doctor trained at uh, Stanford um, in clinical pharmacology and anesthesia and also uh, cancer biology. And uh, I've been in the cannabis space for about seven years, but I started in the natural products, botanical medicine space about 40 years ago as a undergraduate. I did my undergraduate degree at Harvard in organic and medicinal chemistry. and. Uh, so all of this stuff is very exciting for me because it's like everything all coming together. Awesome. So, uh, so just quick breakdown. We're, we're, we're going to have about uh, 30, 35 minutes of just panel questions, and then I'll leave it open to you guys for any type of Q&A that you have. So it should be about 10 minutes of that. So to start out, uh, compounding medications has been around since the dawn of time. Ancient medicines to modern medicines up until the 1950s compounded medications tailored to specific patients. Now we see the gambit of cookie cutter medications that are supposed to be able to help everyone. 
how do each of you feel about how this new method will affect patients at large and what brought you around advocating for primarily compounding? Anybody want to start? Okay. Um, I think much of commerce is is cultural. I mean, is this what anthropologists say? So our approach to medicines and pharmaceuticals and how to care for people that don't feel as well as they would care to feel, that's a very much uh, cultural approach. And so post-industrial revolution and you know mass marketing, mass production, there are certain uh, paradigms in our culture, and one of them is in the belief of statistics and the belief that the past predicts the future, uh, even though they don't accept astrology. Um, and so if you believe in those things, if you believe that a panel of experts can tell you what the best Thai restaurant is in Anaheim and that you will like it because we said so, then the statistical paradigm works. Um, but you know, from my training in anesthesia, um, and working with patients in a very critical care setting, you see that what's written in the literature and even what happened with your patient this morning may not be happening right now at all. And unlike the rest of the physicians, maybe it sounds disparaging, but in the operating room, if something's not going well, you can't just kind of walk away and blame it on the literature or say, well, yeah, he's a smoker or some sort of thing. You've got to take care of it. The person is not supposed to be dead before they leave the operating room. And so that makes each person of critical importance. And so there's a very intrinsically individualized approach. Um, but the marketing and, and practice of medicine outside of those individual settings is primarily group approaches, which means that you standardize things from this test group over here that is supposedly representative of everyone else. There was a study uh, that I just read, I don't know, 3 o'clock this morning maybe it was. I think it's out of Israel. Um, and it was a chronic neuropathic pain study. They had 20 patients. And they were, the this, this title of the study says cannabis, basically cannabis is effective for neuropathic pain. Um, but in the study, they talk about giving a certain amount of THC to all their subjects. But if you read even closer, what they actually gave was THC oil that when I went to the website of the manufacturer is full spectrum, TH, uh, full spectrum cannabis oil. So they're not even mentioning everything else that's in the oil. They're just calling it THC oil. The science is saying they gave THC, but the title says cannabis. None of those things are really the same. And the main reason I mentioned the study is because they chose to only do uh, male patients. Because they said, and I think at least one or two of the authors are female, they said, well, you, women, it's known that menstrual cycling affects uh, pain experience. And so that's why they didn't do it. And I oh thought, well, okay. <laughs> so you're saying you're going to ignore the more complex patients <laughs> and then have a definitive result because this study on male patients will then apply to everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by the statistics. So statistically, men are normal and women are accessory individuals, but the data on men is being applied to women. Mm -hmm. And then when something fails, your doctor won't even have a chance to know, mm -hmm. well, why didn't it work? It's like, oh, well, the study said this. And it's not, not unless you have a nerdy kind of, you know, stay up till three in the morning, watch YouTube and read the, the papers, you know. Say this, oh, the reason is because they decided to exclude women. 
you know, five years ago when the study was done. So that's the problem that I have with the pharmaceutical science generalized statistical approach because we still pretend that we live in a monoculture, but you know, we're not all like Tibetan, Nepalese kind of inbred thing. I mean, look at us, we're all different. So how are you gonna grab, who is the normal person in the room that all the rest of us are like that person? Absolutely. Jason? I mean, other than me. Sure, sure you wanna jump in? The, um, wow and just wow. And can I have a copy of that study? Will you send that to me? Because yeah. you know I'm going to say something about that on my social media, um, being a femme-centric company, and for good reason. So my approach to, uh, you know, when I hear the words cookie cutter and listening to this beautiful doctor and, and just being on this panel is such an honor. I'm a sub in, but I was like, yeah, let's geek out on this particular topic, shall we? Um, my background is... is unique because I am a holistic and metaphysical practitioner and clergy. I do not have a quote technical medical background, but by osmosis, my, my late father was a, basically the early first neuroscientist in a lot of ways and created a major at the University of Pennsylvania called the Biological Basis of Behavior. So I've grown up being very interested in both and having a foot in both worlds. Here's why cookie cutter never works on anyone ever, not just because of the you want to know what a study is about? Just follow the trail of money funding it and the grant sources. And this is true for every organizational model. My father wrote grants and studied, and, and we're all very clear on that. And if you're not, just do your research. Be that geek that reads it at 3 AM. Um, several years ago, uh, there was a young girl who was given a certain, let's say, uh, dose of Zoloft. It was prescribed based on her BMI. She was uh, 12 years old. Um, heavyweight child had been subjected to a tremendous amount of bullying. We all know these kinds of stories. And she was given 125 milligrams of Zoloft as the standard prescription based on her weight. Not the brain development, not the female qualities. And it overdosed her to the point where she became suicidal and was hospitalized and then given other medications. And that girl was my daughter. And I worked at the time as a spiritual care minister for the mental health hospital in northern Westchester County, New York. Uh, where I could no longer work because now I was the mother of an inpatient. And I very early on learned and recognized from how I'd been raised by my father in that experience that I was no longer going to accept the paradigm of Western meds in their traditional form. And if I have a healthy respect for it, I'd find a way of balancing and understanding that physiological and pre-genetic disposition and biochemistry is only one part of an equation that is far more complex. Why do two people with the same disease states have the same medication, one gets better and one does not. One has a reaction to prescriptions and one does not. One lives and one dies. Because we are simply far too complex in the mechanism and the energy and the organisms that we are. And so my approach is mind, body, spirit. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot separate that. And when we do, we're trying to treat symptoms, we're trying to do analytical studies in ways that are just really not adequate for the complexity of who we are and how we were designed. So now I've said my piece, yeah. pass that mic. <laughs> so Carlton, Jason, you wanna add any quick notes? Yeah, I just blending that personally, uh, not everybody in my life can smoke pot and not everybody in my life can take certain prescription meds. So clearly there's gotta be a solution that works for everybody and that's individually crafted solutions. I remember making one of my formulations based off somebody who uh, developed an intolerance to THC but really benefited from CBN and related terpenes that got them you know, sleep benefits because they were insomniac at the time. And uh, it was amazing being able to develop a tea recipe in a particularly a particular delivery method for that medicine that worked for the patient. And so for me exploring, you know, the 
route of delivery and then the patient outcomes as a way to make that decision, I think you can uniquely do when you compound medicine. And real quick, my, my experience with the uh, compounding is uh, I was diagnosed with uh, severe PTSD from the VA, and they put me on a, a healthy cocktail of Prozac uh, and a bunch of other really good, good things. Uh, it helped for a little while, and then after about a year and a half, uh, I didn't feel anything. You know, I lost all feeling, all the ability to feel, and I wanted to get off of the Prozac uh, specifically. Uh, so I started creating different formulations. Uh, every time I tried to get off the Prozac uh, with the help of my doctors, uh, it took about uh, 10 days before all the suicidal thoughts started coming in. Um, so there was nothing that was sustainable in being able to get off of a pharmaceutical that was supposed to be treating depression and, and uh, uh, PTSD. Uh, so cannabis was the thing that was able to help me stabilize that um, and be able to get back to actually a healthy life. So um, yeah, compounding different formulations uh, and specific uh, medical uh, treatment uh, to a patient uh, is definitely the way to go. There is no one pill cures all. So as we know, cannabis is a variety of forms and functions, and its chemistry is a marvel that we will be researching for years to come. We're really in the basic stages of researching cannabis right now. From what we know today, though, the aspects of cannabis that are being studied are cannabinoids and terpenes. In each of your experiences, what have been the standout chemical compounds during your expedition into cannabis compounding, and why? You want to start, doctor? <laughs> Sure. Loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I mean, they all stand out. Uh, you know, CBD is the center of this conference. THC gets everybody's attention because everybody feels like that's what gets people high and that's what people associate cannabis with um, and forget about the many other human uses of it over millennia. So f for me, what really stands out, though, right now is the family of... Uh, the cannabinoids, um, and also terpenes. And uh, the terpenes, there's some like beta-caryophylline that actually functions as a cannabinoid. And so because I've been working in botanical medicinals for a long time, I do my best to wrap my mind around everything that's there in the plant and not ignore something because, oh, there's vitamin E in there too? Yeah, I already know what that does. Right. I, I really want to understand that whole thing so but right now the most that I'm able to keep up with is the terpenes and the cannabinoids and the effect that many terpenes have on absorption and distribution of the cannabinoids in the body Jason and for me and and all the work that I've been doing uh, a whole plant uh, mother nature's whole plant uh, CBD dominant cannabis strains have been the most uh, successful for all the formulations as a base that have really worked for me uh, for me, it's definitely terpene synergies. Uh, we looked and uh, sort of looking at enhancing that through adding aromatics into a lot of our recipes led me to believe that lavender and linalool terpenes in their own rights are almost as efficacious as CBD or CBN in certain cases and made me want to learn more about, you know, terpenes like that. And I'm, I guess I'm closest to Carlton on this level then because um, I make aromatherapy that's... Uh, 
there's a master certified aromatherapist who has collected all from all over the world because there are certain ways that the climate, as it would affect a cultivar in cannabis, so too it is with essential oils. And so those plants are all wild crafted organic and from certain mountaintops and there are 20 different lavenders and I geek out all over the, uh, the aromatherapy, which is the other you know, since the beginning of time, all races, all religions, the beginning of history, we have used essential oils, which is the other version of the name of terpenes. So it depends on if you're in the holistic metaphysical side, you call them essential oils. And if you're on the cannabis side, we refer to them as terpenes. Mm -hmm. And I do both and I merge them. So that's, to me, that's just unbelievable. And every time I discover a new problem or new energy on a societal level, I simply channel and create a way to make a blend that answers and addresses that need state. Yeah, just wanted to mention one little thing that, because of what you were just saying, it's really useful to think of cannabis not as a medicine or a drug, but a class. Yes. Okay, because it's really not one thing. It gives us this reductionist thought that it should all be the same, or one is right and one is wrong. It's a class. By the time you take into account climate, pharmacogenetics, all these things, it's a much bigger class than you know uh, anti-inflammatories or antidepressants and all this. It's a huge class that comes from one species of plant. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually the next question is, is really focusing on the driving force of education because we education is what's going to drive a lot of the uh, national presence when it comes to legalization. So even in Florida, um, my experience since the last couple of weeks that I've been there, people don't even know what sativa and indica is. They're like, oh, it's just pot. Like I just smoke it. And sometimes it makes me go to sleep. Sometimes it makes me awake. I don't even know what the hell is in it. So Let's talk about education for a second. So the next few years of cannabis education will be the building blocks of how we grow, describe, prescribe, and administer the herb. For decades in California and the West Coast, we've been classifying cannabis by their made-up strain names or by calling them by sativa or indica. But we now understand that it's much deeper than that. We talk about chemovars, really, is where we really should be going. What should be the approach to how we label and describe these varieties, especially when it comes to mixing compounds for medicinal purposes? I actually have a lot of thoughts on this uh, because a lot of what I learned about packaging design came from looking at the tea world and how, you know, a, a plant is modeled in so many different ways for specific uses. And uh, I think some things that some actors are doing right in the hemp marijuana industry is they're moving away from, you know, scientific terminology to more relatable words. There's a brand in Florida that uses like Zen to describe some of their ratioed products. And for me, I think a model that talks about sort of our goals with cannabis care, like, oh, calm, peace, energy is a more accessible model. And we have a lot of information to share, but the biggest problem with educating is too much too fast. And I think, you know, a different paradigm of getting what patients want out of a treatment as the priority and understanding what we're making as products uh, can be reconciled by, you know, moving away from scientific terms and spending more time thinking about what we're making. For sure. I mean, that also helps with patients that are coming new into the industry. They get to understand what it is. I mean, they see this vast array of all these uh, different strain names and they're like, what the hell is Blue Dream? Like, what is this going to do for me? I don't want one of those. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think Candescent really hopped on that. The, um, I'll add to that because everything he says, everything you're all saying, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I just, I love that. Uh, it's so rare. Um, I think that there's a fine line and a healthy balance that will be eked out in this industry between marketing, branding, and uh, 
translatable efficacy and information so that we're still trying to educate people on the basics. And I work in even harder segments. Um, I mean, this is a room full. We're preaching to the choir. Everyone here at least knows something and is already interested or you wouldn't be here. When I talk to parent groups that are still caught under stigma and fear and misconception in the prohibition, um, I have to use an entirely different language mm -hmm. right, to even talk about that. And I stay away from the things that would create stereotypes. But my aromatherapy lines are named by the energy and the chakras, you know, real simple words and colors that you associate and identify. Because at the end of the day, no matter what it says on the label and how we start doing it, whether like Pop on Barkley or everybody's starting to go into the ratio and the different segmentation of the different cannabinoids. It's 10% this, it's 3% that, which I think is important. But if you're not in this room and you have no idea what that is, seeing something that says clear, center, nurture, inspire, smile, certain color, certain resonance. So we, we have to figure that out. It's right. very confusing and it's very complex. We can't make claims, but we need to be specific. But in certain states, you can't say that. And then there are people who mislabel and call it hemp oil, which is not CBD or the same. Lots of stuff to work out with that, right guys? You guys got any extra notes? Um, sure. Again, I, mean, I, I agree with everyone up here. Adam did a great job putting us together. Um, a lot of this paradigm needs to just fall away, um, like an old scab. You mentioned stereotypes. That's the, really the biggest issue, and it's part of our society, and we impose it upon uh, cannabis, which I call cannabis just because that's the most neutral term. One of the things in education is to stop using all those other terms that are that have negative associations, you know, so pot, weed, hash, all that. It, it, it's just... It, it doesn't help people that are already having trouble accept the product to to accept it, and uh, so that's that. That to me is a, the main thing that I could say about that. Yeah, whenever somebody talks about it, it's like, oh yeah, marijuana. I'm like, no, cannabis. Yeah. They're like, you mean marijuana? I'm like, no, cannabis. Like, yeah, I like to call the plant what it calls itself, but I just don't know. Exactly. What's your name? I'm adding this, but it's not a shameless plug. It just makes me laugh. There's a reason that my cover is pink. It's accessible and soft, and millennials love it. And why I get blocked on social media is because the subtitle is why pot is not what we were taught. But it's intentional because right. I'm speaking to the audience that right. only has that word still caught in their heads, like I used to. Yeah. I'm a recovering, formerly anti-pot parent and proud of it. So with compounding cannabis, we're not just specifically focusing on cannabis. You know, this is an herbal medication that we mix with other herbal medications. So there are a variety of herbs and medications that can be compounded with cannabis to produce a desired effect. What herbs and or medications have each of you been working with that have desired effects and have you been looking to culminate? I think you should probably start with that. Yeah, that goes back to understanding that we have always been designed to absorb all of these cannabinoids. The cannabinoid, phytocannabinoids come from all different kinds of plant species, and terpenes are terpenes. So um, when I put together the blends, that's because there are certain need states, and I'm mixing and working with oils that have certain traits. And all essential oils have a certain energy and a trait to it. So in a way, in a weird way, I don't know why I'm connecting this, like GMOs, they're going for desired traits to be enhanced so that the apple slices at McDonald's don't brown, and they're doing, you know, that's why they have GMO apples. But in the natural world, we're just simply understanding lavender is more relaxing. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but um, 
why is that? What does it do? What signals does it fire off? Is it increasing serotonin? There's so many interesting things to look at. But lavender and mandarin, which is in my smile spray, is good for autism and ADHD. And of course, sorry, we're on tape. I am not a doctor. I cannot make any medical claims. Anything I say must be approved by your practitioner, blah, blah, blah. You're not a priest. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, do you have anything? Uh, I, I could give a laundry list. I'm working with compounds from psilocybin and cannabinoids to hormones and uh, cannabinoids. And the reason being, I think, given the sentiment of this panel, is we're trying to find solutions for problems. You know, intractable and treatment-resistant depression uh, is a serious condition that far too many people suffer from. Psilocybin has really interesting implications in treating that in context of cannabis. Uh, then a step back, cannabis operates similar to a hormone. So putting it in that light can bring, especially, you know, people's bodies who have more hormones, such as those who have like a uterine system, for instance, into a conversation that might not otherwise be part of it, as we pointed out earlier. Mm. Right. Don't forget Salvia. Yeah, and for me, I, I've, uh, I'm working with 12 different strains of CBD-dominant cannabis, and each one of those strains has its own terpene profile, its own thing. So uh, at the moment, I'm currently blending different uh, amounts of these uh, oils and creating uh, you know, this much of this terpene, this much of this, to try to make a formulation uh, specific to whatever patient that I'm working with. Uh, but basically focusing on uh, the different strains of CBD-dominant cannabis. So I, I tend to tailor my work around what I perceive as the needs that people have that will allow them greater access to cannabis. And so since there's a lot of aversion to THC because people associate THC with intoxicating psychotropism, which is not necessarily a correct association, but it's very popular. Um, so I look at things that could potentially substitute for THC, for instance, covalactones and an insomnia product to help people feel that relaxation and go off to sleep because basically I want people to be able to take a nearly full spectrum product that you know is missing the THC but not feel that the THC is missing. Mm -hmm. And so there are some other uh, compounds in that space. Um, the other uh, main area really is looking at the issue of isolates and how the isolates really need to have their entourage and it's kind of like separating a child from its mother when it hasn't learned how to walk on its own. And uh, so in order to deal with that, I, because of the, you know, kind of understanding some other things in the botanical space, recognizing that a Chinese entourage could work as well as a, you know, cannabis Mediterranean um, entourage. And so there in the anti-inflammatory space and rheumatoid arthritis and all of that, um, there uh, is this family of preparations in traditional Chinese medicine called Dijiao, and it's used by martial artists, and it comes from the Shaolin tradition and all of that. And so I've taken uh, CBD isolate and put it into that entourage of about 13 herbs that have been prepared and combined according to tradition, according to traditional standards. Mm -hmm. And so you actually have the same sort of efficacy with that CBD that I find with whole. Uh, CBD, so I can have CBD isolate mixed with dit de jiao or whole cannabis oil that is CBD dominant, and these two are basically indistinguishable, and except for there's a little bit more relaxation with the THC side, but people still get their CBD effect, and you don't get that down biphasic curve like people have with the mm -hmm. CBD isolate. That's my space. 
So while compounding, have you guys found any adverse effects, um, any compounds that you've had put together that um, don't really synergize? I, I can mention one thing because I work with uh, transepithelial delivery systems um, in different sites in the body. So there's some challenges with botanical cannabis uh, because extraction methods and grow methods often have residual junk, to use a scientific term. <laughs> and so if you have a, a high efficiency, our, our system is... is high efficiency such that I could, you know, you could kind of maybe have a, a test. Our transepithelial system works as fast as like inhalational vaping and, and smoking. So it's pushing everything into the tissues quickly, into the brain, uh, without, apparently without going through the blood-brain barrier, using a lymphatic system going through the back door. I'm a hacker. Um, but the thing <laughs> is, though, that um, if there's other stuff in the cannabis oil other than what the cannabis plant had in it. So if there's residual solvents, heavy metals, pesticides, then that gets pushed in too. And so that's, but that's a, you know, an extra, say four or $5 million worth of analytical equipment mm -hmm. to be able to make sure that none of that stuff is in there in the final product. So part of the issue, because compounding is at this level of saying I take safe plus safe and I combine it to make unique. But sometimes what we think is safe may not be as safe. And once you start to enhance the efficacy or enhance the delivery, then things pop up. And sometimes it's just little things like rashes, uh, you know, uh, what is it, chronic urticarial rashes or whatever. And that can be blocked with willow bark. But it makes me concerned about but what's in there that we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. yeah. You guys all good with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> So just from the medical community side, um, Karamat, right? Karamat. Okay. I, I have such a hard time saying that name. Um, so just from your side, from the medical community, taking this introduction of cannabis into compounding, have you seen any, you know, uh, resistance against it? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by, I, by I the way, people. by the way, um, Pronouncing my name is a lot easier. Post-administration of a one-to-one -one ratio CBD-THC. <laughs> it just, it's, it's just a minor unpublished results uh, thing. But it's, it's car you met, like a car that you met the other day. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of resistance, primarily because um, cannabis now, like aspirin in the 1800s was, is a panacea. It is a cure-all, not because of some sort of uh, imaginary reason, but because there are a lot of things we don't know how to cure. It's a brand new system that it's affecting, brand new to our science. And so th this big bag of things from Huntington's disease down to depression, PTSD, and, and anxiety that we haven't been able to deal with well in the medical model are being dealt with very well and sometimes accidentally. And and also, it, so a lot of this is our, our paradigm issues because if you find that you have a cancer patient who is taking traditional, meaning mainstream medical cancer treatment, and you're helping them with their anxiety, stress, and depression, um, instead of giving them the Zoloft and Prozac, which some doctors are doing now for people, is like after they say, oh, you're gonna die in about four weeks, and we can't really operate, but we can give you this chemo, and oh, I'm a compassionate physician, I think after I just told you that, uh, you might need Prozac. 
<laughs> I don't I don't know how people actually do that and day after day with patient after patient. It's, it's bizarre to me. Um, but anyway, in in that uh, space, you might be treating that person for their anxiety, depression, and stress with cannabis, and start to have an effect on their primary cancer. And that's embarrassing for people because a little candy pill that you give somebody is not supposed to be greater than the cyclotron radiation that costs $4 billion to shoot a beam into this part. And, to, and if it's just like, oh, yeah, in addition to feeling better, their <laughs> cancer is starting to go, do you think cancer might be related to stress, anxiety, depression? No, no, it can't be. So, so that's, that's where a lot of the pushback is that when you have a panacea, when it's treating lots of things, and you have a very reductionist system that says, look, I just want you to treat the anxiety. I don't want you to deal with the cancer. As if we were. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so that's to me where I see the main yeah. resistance. Absolutely. So the last question for you guys before we go to Q&A. Um, we need to figure out a solution because we have mass medication out right now. That's primarily the belief for the past so many decades that one pill will cure all or cure everything. So how do we solve this? How do we get this out into the market to where people actually see it as compounding, just compounding in general, not just with compounding with cannabis, but just compounding in general, going back to that, do you know, dose medication specifically for the patient. How do we put that back into the market where that becomes more mainstream? Let's do Jason. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. It's it's it starts. The education starts with like all of us. I mean it it starts with compassion. You know, uh, anyone that's that's making medicine, that's putting formulations together. If you're putting it together out of compassion, you know, you're doing the right thing. And unfortunately, with the whole green rush right now, you know, there's so many people coming into the space that are doing it for profit, and they. They have no idea where the product comes from that they're, they're starting to work with, you know, and they don't know how to read a lab test, and there's no uniform uh, standard for lab tests. Uh, they've never been to a farm and seen where the product is grown, you know, what's being used to grow it. So, I, I mean, you have to go all the way back to the very beginning, and there would be no product out here without it being grown and it has to be grown somewhere and so if you as a uh, as a supplier or a uh, practitioner are going to put out a product find out where that product is coming from do the research go to the farm go put your hand in the soil smell it you know really get in touch with the medicine and then you'll understand and, and be able to make something that that's actually going to help people you know, and it's not based out of profit. It's it's based out of compassion. So we got, oh, yeah. Clap, I clap for that. Absolutely. <laughs> so one I, minute. I would uh, add to that to amplify it and say that in the space of medicine right now, one of the big pushes is personalized or precision medicine. And I think it's very easy to link up cannabis with that concept without being as reductionist as, as the pharmaceutical space is. And I basically would tell, you know, especially for millennials, I'm also a millennial, I just was born early. Um, premature, 40 years premature. Um, anyway, <laughs> I have all the other characteristics. Anyway, um, everybody who has a unique Facebook page deserves personalized medicine. 
if your Facebook page is different than the other person's, why are you taking the same medicine? Why aren't you considering that aspect of your diversity, which you don't need to define on any sort of demographic levels at all, just to the fact that you, know, you have this presentation of yourself and somebody else is this, so probably, especially in a psychotropic space, you probably will benefit best from something where the practitioner, the producer, whoever you're interfacing with cares about you enough to see who you are and not just your insurance number and all those things. I mean, cannabis is going to push us to be very tolerant, very diverse, very compassionate, and very loving. And if we don't do it voluntarily, the secondhand smoke will get us. <laughs> Have any last questions? Last thoughts? The responsibility lies not just in those of us who have companies or putting out products, but in you. We are all in this room, I like to say, inadvertent activists when you came in, and hopefully now intentional activists on your way out. And only by your own trust and knowing and truth and connection to people that you meet and personally can bet for, then you open your mouths and you're sharing that information. And sure, we have books and we have products, but it's you. If you feel it, if you've learned it yourself, if you share it with someone who trusts, Thank God for social media in that form, and that form almost only, because there we can do something that the governments cannot do, the organizational institutions, with the money that feeds it and creates the information. You decide the information. So mm -hmm. that's our job, and may we carry it forward. Carl, any last notes? Uh, I just, yeah, this has been a really great panel. I think just ending on that note that when we step into sort of a healthcare-related field, we take on a responsibility for somebody's life. You know, it's not a interaction that ends when the sale takes place. This is part of a journey, part of an experience, and one you know we're all implicated in. So, I, I think it's really awesome that there's these attitudes and that there's this many people who are as interested in well-being and getting everybody to a better place. That you know, I think we'll make some good strides. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, open up the Q and A. Grab a mic right here. There's a uh, mic coming up. Thank you. Uh, PTSD. I'm working with uh, some groups in the military in San Diego. And so I've given a lecture about what is CBD. But the question is, how does CB CBD interact with PTSD? How can I deliver some information? Um, so th there's... It's not just CBD, um, and what I've found. It, the entourage effect uh, really, really helps on multiple levels. Uh, one, just reducing the amount of anxiety you have. Uh, another huge part of it is sleep. Uh, during sleep is where you're getting interrupted uh, you, with your REM sleep uh, with trauma, uh, PTSD. So that's, and when you, uh, start depriving the body of sleep, uh, it lowers the immune system, and then you're susceptible to a bunch of other uh, diseases. You know, cancer, everything else is, is a gateway to, uh, to the body. So uh, cannabis uh, and CBD uh, in general, uh, it helps in multiple ways, but sleep is, I found, one of the, the best, uh, best things that it actually helps with to overall reduce the amount of um, anxiety and um, symptoms of PTSD. So um, I would add to that, and also you mentioned sleep, 
and then the problem with immune dysregulation, lots of neurobehavioral uh, syndromes, conditions, including autism and Alzheimer's as well, and depression are beginning to be recognized as being inflammatory problems within the central nervous system. So being sleep deprived is part of the problem. Um, so helping with insomnia is important, helping to rebalance the immune system, which is part of what uh, CBD within a full entourage uh, does for that. Um, one little thing about PTSD, since we're kind of revealing who we are as human beings, PTSD is not abnormal. The way what the things that we put humans into is abnormal. PTSD is a very, very normal reaction to uh, an, an awful situation. And it happens, whether it happens on a battlefield, it can happen in the middle of the jungle. I used to work in the Amazon with traditional healers. And if you have, you know, 10 young men out hunting and a leopard drops out of the tree and chases them all and catches one, the guys are going to walk away with PTSD. But why? Just to give my little opinion, I think PTSD is how do you manage a multifactorial, horrible situation so you never walk into it again? So that the next time you see that it looks like it, you have this holographic picture in your head. It's like your spidey sense. So the next time you're walking along and there's shadows in the tree, you remember that time 10 years ago when the leopard dropped out of the tree and you say, you know, I feel weird, let's get out of here. Okay, the problem is, is that we put people into situations and somebody, a lady with a baby carriage on the ferry leaves the baby carriage, the baby carriage blows up, the survivors are going to associate a ferry and a lady and a baby carriage and a, all these things with potential mortal trauma in the future. So the nervous system is mapping this huge data field of a moment that the planes hit the tower or the bomb goes off and whew, there's all this stuff. What does CBD do? What do THC do? What, is, what do cannabinoids do? What is in the cannabinoid system? It's the harm reduction neuroprotection system, just like with traumatic brain injury. It starts to cl uh, silence the conversation in the brain. It slows down the information coming in from the nerves up here mm -hmm. that want to talk to this nerve down here. And the reason is, is because when you have trauma, whether it's emotional trauma, physical trauma, traumatic brain injury, you have low blood supply, the more you stress the brain. And when I say stress, I mean even simple things like having an intellectual conversation and trying to calculate pi out to 30 decimal places, arguing with your kids or your spouse, feeling like you're late for work, all of those things cause neurons to use more energy, more sugar, more oxygen. And so when it's deprived, you need to kind of shut this down. And so it's kind of like when you're stressed or somebody has a migraine and somebody's yelling at you, you kind of got to shut it down a little bit, make it quieter, make it quieter so that you can handle it. So that's what the endocannabinoid system is doing for people with PTSD because realistically their body responded appropriately to where they were and the rest of us have responded inappropriately to it and they've just got one nervous system and one brain and cannabis can help to balance it out because cannabis says, you know what, I know you're making crazy screwed up decisions because you're a human, but I'm going to help you make it, at least optimize it, smooth it out for you. That's mm. kind of how it works. If I'm going to add very quickly, I'm going to jump the shark for one moment. The, when we're referencing the, that's a TV term, by the way, for means going off topic, but not really. In, when you take the experience in the way that experience is stored, I work with both Beth groups, spiritual counselor, and a lot of women with uh, abuse. And that is called cellular memory. 
that's what that becomes. From my work in the metaphysical field, please don't forget the therapeutic and spiritual aspects of what PTSD is referencing. It may not be, if you believe this, uh, just in this lifetime, it's also a trigger from past lifetimes of similar experience of cellular memory. So that's why I do, again, please reconnect back into the mind-body-spirit. When I work with vets who do not know from meditation and any of this, and I spray their faces and teach them to breathe, teach them to relax their nervous system response, the fight or flight, you can get back in touch with that in your physiological, physical form by doing the other work as well. It's still all through the phytocannabinoids. Thank you very much. Do we have another question? Anybody? All right. Bring it on over. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, this question is for Dr. Leaf. Uh, you kind of uh, alluded to uh, nanotechnology a little bit by going through the back door, if I understand that correctly. Can you describe a little bit about the research that you've done on degenerative um, diseases that are genetic, such as like a degenerative disc disease for um, spine, or if you've done any research similar to that? Actually, no, in, in that very specific space, no. Primarily, I've worked in the area of enhancing or optimizing delivery, um, and especially to reduce some of the collateral effects of uh, THC being converted to 11-hydroxy-THC by the liver, which then leads people into the high and the intoxication that for many people is uncomfortable. Um, with respect to uh, genetic diseases, there are a lot of uh, pharmacogenetic studies that are done looking at different interactions between the family that is cannabis and people with different uh, pharmacogenetic variations. So I mean, the short answer is that my focus is to be able to deliver these essential nutrients, really. To me, we have a lot of undernourished endocannabinoid systems. I have a little excuse me, I have a little tagline on, on my LinkedIn page that basically says, feed your ECS, change the world. And, um, and so that, that's where I work. I, I try not to get caught up into diagnoses because I think we label people and the diagnosis becomes a stereotype and saying somebody has PTSD or, or uh, until we can get some of these basic systems balanced out, we can kind of misguide ourselves by thinking that we know too much. And you mentioned the education. One of the things that's really important for people that are receiving or imparting education is to also give representation to the other side, the bigger side, which is everything that we don't know. And, and it's very easy to talk and sound as though we've solved all the problems. And Shira mentioned the past life uh, aspect. And some people might feel that the things called metaphysical are less real and less important. Yeah, I was going to say less tangible. They are less tangible, but less important. So just for anybody who might have that sort of concern or might want some ammunition against somebody who comes back at you with that sort of a thing, there's some studies done. I think it was at uh, NYU. Uh, it was a woman there that did research post 9-11 with women that were pregnant at the time and they showed distinct changes in the stress responses, which then comes back around to the endocannabinoid system, in those children who didn't experience, you know, the actual 9-11 or even watch it on CNN, but the communication between mother and child made them, if you will, more jittery, more stressed. Another study, it was, there's some documentary that captures all this, but I've forgotten the name of it, but they looked at 
a group of people from uh, somewhere in Scandinavia, maybe the Netherlands or something, where there was a big famine like two generations back and that they saw genetic changes in the grandchildren it jumped a generation and that those kids because of the famine actually had more of a tendency towards obesity because basically their bodies had shifted to be able to manage a famine and now they have albertsons you know so it's just the body is like whoa what happened you know yeah. so a lot of these things that sometimes seem touchy-feely it's just because the science hasn't caught up with what people have known you know forever and ever and yeah. uh Anyway, that's awesome. Well, uh, that concludes our panel. Thank you so much, guys.